What is up? You are listening to the Live and Create Podcast. It's where I interview artists and entrepreneurs about what it means to live a great life and create great things. On this episode, we have Mitch Gray. He's a business developer, a consultant, he's a speaker, an author, and also a musician. We talk about so many subjects going through in and out, and then it all kind of comes home in the end. We talk about creativity. We talk about his transition from being part of a church and a pastor and finding new ways of living and finding new ways of earning money and building a business for himself. We also talk about his journey of losing his voice as a touring musician and the things that he's learned through that process. And yeah, it's a great conversation. Hope you guys enjoy. The Live and Create Podcast. Awesome, man. So, That's dude, cool. we'll we'll dive in though, and there's so many things uh, that I think we could cover. Uh, there's there's a few things kind of big in my mind, but but one, you know, just giving context for for the people listening. I we met, I think, originally via Instagram, if I'm not mistaken. If, if I remember yeah, that. so um, I'm trying to think of his name, the guy that used to be in Run With It. Did he play bass or keyboards? Uh, there was Ben Byard. Uh, he's kind of the skinnier white dude, played keyboards, violin, and everything. And then Daniel was a black kid with dreads, and he did a lot of our social media as well. So maybe one Before of them. That. Before that. Before that. Oh, bass player. Oh, our first bass player, Clint. Clint. Yep. Yep. Clint. Okay. So Clint is a cousin to a buddy of mine. Boom, boom, boom. I forgot and about so, this connection. Yeah. I remember you and telling so, me. Um, so when I was, this has been, I mean, this has been quite a few years ago, man. I was really um, kind of shifting my music and doing more stuff. And anyway, a buddy of mine was like, yeah, man, my cousin's in a band from Kansas City. And they're like doing really well. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah. So I looked, looked you guys up. And that's when I connected with you on Instagram, but I connected because of that. Um, It's like, oh, this is, you know, you're always trying to network and look for people. And I just reached out to you and then that's how you and I got connected because that was probably, dude, that was probably in 2017, maybe even. That's crazy. Maybe even 26. I mean, we've known each other for a couple of years now. Yeah. Because it's been, it's been, it's been two years ago that I was in Kansas city that weekend. That's right. Well, and that's where I was, I was so cool seeing the digital connection become real that's yeah. when we were touring that was one of the the fun things of like oh usually we knew people by their handles we're like oh you're yeah. dj 472 oh okay and you meet him in person but i'm you know i'm playing the show here in kansas city and i look out and i'm like i recognize this dude who's just sitting there watching and finally realize it was you and then you had a show yeah. that night and which yeah. i got to go catch which was and awesome then I man we stayed up to like three in the morning eating pizza (laughs) joe's pizza it's not the best but it feels like the best at two in the morning yeah yeah that was a fun night man it was so for you you know you you kind of do everything i got your linkedin uh just so i don't miss certain things but you know business growth specialist what it says personal development coach writer speaker host the mitch gray uh podcast as well uh and hustling doing all sorts of cool things and doing music recording uh, but I know one of the the things I was hoping to dive into is I know you've been on a whole different journey when it comes to music. Uh, for a lot of people during COVID, music has shut down. But for you, you've been on a whole different journey. And I was wondering if you could unpack that with what you've been going through with your voice and maybe even something you've been learning along that way. Because yeah, I've I've 
I, I lost my voice uh, about two and a half years in to run with it. And it was kind of a, a devastating several months of trying to figure out how to perform again. I could eke out like four song performances and then go and not talk for three days. Um, it was, it, that was a hard journey. And I know you've been on that journey. So again, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, maybe kind of give listeners the background of what you're going through and maybe what you're learning. Yeah. Um, a lot of what you see on my LinkedIn profile is it's a lot of stuff I've been working on for the last five or six years, but it's kind of taken precedence and music has kind of taken a back, well, to be totally honest, a non-existent role <laughs> in my life. I got um, mo- Mostly because of what kind of the picture you just painted. Um, I guess it was probably uh, two years ago, maybe, maybe three, but probably about two years ago when we would be on tour, um, yeah, it was kind of the same thing you started experiencing. It would be, I, I could make it through a whole show, and and you and I know a whole show being four hours sometimes, depending depending on where you're playing, um, night after night after night. So, I guess when you look at it through common sense, it's like, yeah, that probably is not going <laughs> to probably not going to end well, you know. Um, but anyway, pro- probably about two years ago, I I would get through a, the first night pretty well. Um, second night would become a challenge, maybe halfway through the show or so, maybe by second set, you, I could just tell something wasn't right. And then about a year and a half ago, kind of toward the end of, we're in 2021, so probably toward the end of 2018, I got to where I couldn't do four nights in a row. I mean, it was just, which becomes an issue because when you're trying to do, you know, when everyone works full time and you're trying to do thursday through sunday or monday shows if you have to cut out a night it, it becomes you know becomes a problem especially when you're traveling quite a bit oh yeah and so um so that became an issue and then last year it was actually last september i guess august september i'll i take that back probably in july we played a show and i couldn't do three songs i mean and those were bad at best i mean my because what happened two years ago is my my vocal range just I, and you and I talked about that one time. Gone. Yeah, like really bad, especially my high end. <clears throat> and so I had started having to change songs up. And when you're in a band, that's an issue because then you're having to change harmonies up. And then you're having to, well, then it became, we brought a new drummer on at the time. And then that became him helping out like during a chorus or during a, you know, a part of the mm-hmm. song that I just couldn't hit. So that just all becomes weird i mean it just, yeah. it just we, we went on a similar journey uh where we started different up different different songs especially for those yeah. longer gigs and on tours and i feel you well and when you're set up you know much like you guys were when you're set up where and for me it was even more it, it was even different than what you guys because you guys were kind of billed as a band and for me it was mm-hmm. always me than the band and it was always supporting my music right which kind of puts so, you up front even more so on the yes. vocals yeah and when you're having to change that up it's like okay who are we hearing and and then i guess two years ago we um we brought a lady on i've always had this passion to help other people in general but especially musicians and use what little platform i ever had to help promote them and so we've taken people on tour with us before but two years ago we brought a lady on to help her kind of get going and then uh and to help me vocally so then we kind of split shows you know it kind of became um 
half of it was us, half of it was her. Then we would do some some covers because all of our stuff what we did was original. We would do some covers that other guys would help out with. So it just became a weird. It was a really weird year and a half, two year long journey. Probably that that time uh, that weekend in Kansas City where where I saw you and you saw me. <laughs> that was probably the last you know real strong kind of I felt eighty percent confident in my vocal. I got um, you. From then on, it became, you know, we'd do a show and I'd be like, okay, I got 70% tonight. So whatever 70% I do, I'm going to do the best I can. Then, okay, this weekend I've got 60%. So whatever the 60% I can get, I can give. Um, And then, yeah, last September, it just, we we actually played a showcase and we did three songs and oh my gosh, I felt bad for the guys because I was, we didn't, we didn't win the showcase. We Mm -hmm. could have but I was, I was just bad. <laughs> I was bad. And so I just told the guys, I said, I've, I've at minimum got to take time off and we'll see where it goes, you know? Um, yeah. Now, and so what happened, go ahead, but, but go ahead. No, I was just curious how long have you, the timeline of that now from this, from then to now, that's about a year and a half now of time off. We're well over a year. Yeah. And, and my voice is actually worse. My singing voice is worse. It has not really? gotten better. Yep. Okay. It has not gotten better. It's it's to the point now, range wise, that of course, low end, you don't really ever lose. Right. And so, like, if you were like Mitch, we need some bass lines right here. I'd be like, okay, I can do those. <laughs> <laughs> That's like but, I used to smoke cigars a ton, which my band begged me to stop, so I had to stop. Yeah. And, uh, but my, my top end range really got smashed down from several years of just smoking cigars nonstop, but my low end was still like there and even uh, kind of cooler. Cause it's a little gravelly, 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 gravelly. I can't even say that word, but, uh, right. yeah, no, I feel you. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, just right now, my, like the other day I sat down to try and write, um, which has been a whole nother journey writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I sat down to try and write and it was just like, I mean, I, 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 I might have, I don't know, man, I might have a, a, a normal scale, maybe, maybe a full scale, if that. Okay. So one octave, maybe. On the top end, depending on where I start, um, like the other day when I was trying to write, I, I went into the chorus and I totally had to go falsetto. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and that's, and that's actually playing for those that may not play guitar. A guitar is normally tuned to E. Um, about a year and a half ago in the middle of all this, we started tuning down the D. Nice. Just so Just give I, you a little... hit. Mm-hmm. and we, and we actually went on tour, especially we would actually tune down a half step anyway, just because, you know, man, when you're playing again, night after night after night, that right. does wonders for your vocal to be able to not strain so much. But yeah, we, we started tuning down to D, um, and, and that's what I've played in ever since, but even tuning down that low, which that's pretty, pretty low for a tuning. I still can't. Uh, yeah, I can't even think about hitting stuff that I used to hit. So writing wise, that's that's been an even more emotional journey for me because mm. I'm a writer before I'm a musician, really. Um, I, I've written a ton of stuff. I've been fortunate to you know win some awards writing stuff, but writing pretty much has gone aside as well, just because that's. You know, when you're a creator, you have these things that you create to hopefully make money and you have these things that you create for healing. Mm -hmm. And while sometimes they can be both, writing for me was always that healing 
space. It was the place yeah. that whatever happened in life, that's how I could regurgitate that. It's how I could celebrate it. It's how I could get it out. Writing is just whether it's writing books or poetry or music. And writing music was always really special for me because, you know, I always tell people writing music is kind of like you're telling stories of life in code. So That's like, so true. It could be something like that. that happened to you, but you can be like, well, I could change he to she and I could tell about something else. And not that you're hiding things, but it's just a, it's just a good way to translate it. And you're trying to also shape it so the listener can, it's palatable to the listener. You know, you want a good right. story. And so you, you might've had a, a dog that was close to you and it hurt when that dog died. So you may write a song about that, but you may not want to go totally country and write about your dog dying. So you want to go a little more <laughs> rock and roll. So you write about your girlfriend, Sue dying or what, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and for me, writing, writing has become, to be really honest, writing has become a very dangerous place for me because hmm. I can't get out what I want to get out. Just because vocally that was, that was your uh, instrument to voice that. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't, it just doesn't come out. What I'm hearing, that makes sense. what I'm hearing in my head just isn't coming out. And so I'm working through that. I, I think, mm -hmm. I think I'll be able to get to the point where I can write again. Um, but it's been tough, man. It's been, you know, I, I never made a lot of money in music, if any, really. Um, but like, like you said, it's just awesome to get around and meet people and see people and share what I, what I call sharing your gift with the world. And, you know, after a show, going out for pizza with people and you know people messaging you i got a message the other day actually from so i, I you ask a question i'm going to come back to it with linkedin uh -huh. i actually got a message from someone on linkedin the other day and they were like wow we didn't know you were a musician that song such and such was really it's really a good song i'm like thanks awesome. part of that's kind of awesome but part of it's kind of a stab in the heart too because i'm like I know, and I have so many more songs I want to give you, and I can't right now. I can't do this, yeah. No. <laughs> so I... what's happened is, you know, I spent, um, let's see, my I was on a record label in twenty from 2015 to 2017. Okay. Um, and so really from 2013, 14, I, I spent, you know, I really turned my effort toward trying to build the music, trying to build the songwriting, trying to sell songs. And, uh, and that became, you know, probably a 30 hour a week job for me, um, because I really wanted to invest in it and, and build something from it. And, and mm -hmm. so, you know, there's a part of you that goes, okay, there's kind of laws of the universe that when you start doing too much in life, those, some of those things get stripped away so you can do something else and focus your efforts. And I'm kind of looking at it as that way, but when you, you know, I've been, I've been actually touring since I was 13, um, but then, you know, 2012, 2013 really got back into it pretty, pretty extensively, went through band members, found the right people, did all of that. And really 20, 2015, 16 through last year, we were playing anywhere from 60 to 90 shows a year, nice. um, depending. And, and, you know, that's, that's a lot of shows when you all work full time and you all, oh yeah, and you're not just doing music, that's a lot of four night weekends is what it is. And. And so when you put all that investment in it and you, you know, you have a good, pretty, you know, what I think was a good product, it, 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 it kind of happened suddenly and it was kind of frustrating in a way. Um, but I had to take that time and be like, okay, I know I don't really have a future in music per se, mm -hmm. potentially in songwriting eventually maybe. Um, and so 
this year I got active on LinkedIn again. I was probably the 2008 LinkedIn guy that never used his account and forgot about it. And I hear all these <laughs> you, people. You went like, back to log in and you're like, oh, what was my password? I can't yeah. remember. And it says, you already have an account. I'm like, really? Um, <laughs> and you hear all these guys like Gary Vee and everybody talking about LinkedIn's the, you know, kind of the fertile ground of networking right now. And I'm like, okay, I'm sick and tired of Facebook. Um, Instagram is okay. But, but, but the interesting thing that happened and to circle back to your original question is I've had really this change in audiences three different ways in the last eight years. So when I started doing music, um, it was all Christian music. And I know you and I have that similar in our background as well. Yeah, that was something I wanted to dive into a little bit at some point, but it sounds like you might be working in yeah. there naturally. I was already we'll, we'll here in a second. Yeah. So I, I originally did Christian music. Um, I was actually, I have a background in ministry. All I ever wanted to do was be a preacher. Um, I still have a pastor's heart, but through various trials and tribulations, I got away from church totally really moved away from Christianity. Um, still have, still have some of the principles. I, I think I, you know, I, I do think there's a lot of, from my family, I learned a lot of good out of American Christianity. Mm -hmm. Um, we don't have to always dive into the negative, but you know, things like serving other people, helping other people, loving other people, you know, kind of the things that the, the character Jesus taught to actually just be a good human and, right. you know, live justly and mercifully and compassionately those things. So, but I've always had a pastor's heart. And when I learned after my experiences in the church world, that that wasn't the place for me. Um, I also kind of applied that to my music and my songwriting writing. I was kind of like, I don't, I, I don't want to do that stuff. I don't, how can I say this? Um, I think Christian music is very void and empty by nature. I think it all says the same stuff. I especially think worship music is very void and empty. It's not creative. It's, 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 um, it's just kind of a shell of music, music, even, mm -hmm. even structurally, even just the notes and the instrumentation and the structure of the music, I think is very void and empty, but I'm a guy that geeks out over Dave Matthews, man. When they when they change four <laughs> different keys in one, you know, in one measure line, I'm like, what the? Yeah. <laughs> so I love that stuff, right? Um, I love blues music that just you may may or may not be in tune, but you bend the string and make it work and do what you got to do. The emotive properties of it, just there. yeah, it's, yeah. It's interesting. Uh, a guest, previous guest on Live and Create, uh, her name's Paige Turner, and she was just recently on The Voice and doing some great stuff. But our interview, she talked about a similar journey where she was mm -hmm. in the church and, but couldn't find her outlet creatively, lyrically or musically within the church. And so she kind of had to, had to walk away from that, from artistic perspective to explore a whole bunch of different genres and different uh, ways to emote what was, what was in her heart, in her mind. So it's interesting to hear you walk in that same, same journey. Well, if you think about it, okay, so let's just for a second, I want to riff on this and then I'll get back to what okay. <laughs> earlier thought. If you think about it, okay, let's just, let's just say that the, the story of Jesus is for, for sake of the argument, let's just say it's, it all happened the way that we read it happened. Let's right. just, that's the okay. Case. That was a very bloody, sweaty, nasty, hard life mm -hmm. from birth to death. I mean, if you take it as reality, okay, and I'm doing this for the sake of the Christian perspective, if you take it as reality, the dude was born in a barn in the middle of cow manure, and you know what I mean? Like, that's not the greatest way to be born. Like, no parent would do that 
by choice. Well, this right. did, you know, as the story goes, out of out of necessity. And then you look at child, growing up without a father, you know, sperm donor. That's perfect, perfect it, blues music right there already. Exactly. It's like, and then as a teenager, <laughs> basically telling your mom to F off because I know everything that there is to know about the world and the universe. Because I created I, the damn I, world, mom. Yeah, I know how like, it goes. Like he might as well grown a mullet and like totally been doing <laughs> rebel rock right there. And then you go through his adult life and it's like, nobody wants him. Nobody wants to deal with him. Everybody betrays him. He sticks to the plan. He still treats people the right way. And then they kill the dude on the cross. That's like, there's nothing. And so my point is super punk. Is what... Christian music in the modern day and age is void of all of that reality in right. quotes. And so when you lose that, you really lose the artistry of what music is supposed to be. Yeah. Well, and I think and, in a way, and I, you know, part of my story is I left the church a long time ago, but I lived that world. I was a worship pastor, all yep. that. Um, and I, part of it now, as I look back, reflecting and being separate from that, I think part of it is just capitalism uh, eking its way in. Like what's going to work? What's going to sell? Can I correct your course? It's not part of it, my brother. <laughs> I, I was trying to soften the blow. But, <laughs> but it does, when I look at, because there is funny, we just had a friend over, because uh, I'm, I'm an atheist. My wife is uh, somewhere in that world. But we had a friend who's a believer, and we were discussing music, and uh, we talked about some worship songs we, we actually missed, because it's not part of our lives. But John Mark McMillan, uh, and David Crowder were two artists that we, we, both my wife and I were like, oh man, that was, that was, that was good stuff. But they always seem to be on the fringe, at least for a good while. Um, they finally had their breakout successes, but artistically, they always seem to be on the fringe trying to do something a little different. And that to me as an artist, that was inspiring and to this day, though, I, though I don't connect with their words per se and their meaning, right. I still respect and am drawn to their music. Well, they're, they're opposite ends of the stratus form to Chris Tomlin, right? And not right. to disrespect all these people, because because let's be honest, they've done more in the world of music success-wise than you or yeah. I. Or probably yeah, all. Chris Tomlin's <laughs> not calling me asking for advice. No. Let's just say no. he's doing all right. <laughs> and <laughs> How Great Is Our God, again, I don't even connect with the, the lyrics of it, but something about that song, there is something big and open and, and beautiful artistically about it. So, Well, that one, that one structurally is, is created in a way to elicit emotion. Mm -hmm. And that's again, where I started losing connection with modern day church is it was built on, on sold emotion, not natural emotion. So there's a difference mm -hmm. in, there's a difference in you and I having a conversation and it becomes intimate and deep and we shed some tears or we celebrate it. There's a difference in driving down the street and it's been a hard day and you hear your favorite song and it either makes you weep or makes you celebrate. Like those are elicited emotions that are inspired from this movement. However you want to label whatever this movement in life is. Mm -hmm. That's converse to the sold emotion that says, you know, everyone clap your hands, everyone do this. It's like, you don't even, you don't even do I remember as a kid going, well, we don't want to be like, you know, a concert. And I'm like, but if you tell everyone you're clapping, you're like, they don't even do that at concerts. Like, that's not <laughs> how a concert works. Like people lift their cell phones and turn their lights on because they're moved by the song or they start yeah. dancing. I love going to concerts and you see people start dancing randomly. That's elicited emotion, not sold emotion. And so- Interesting. 
songs like How Great Is Our God was actually structurally really cool because I guarantee you if we changed the lyrics of that and Elton John played it, it would get the same exact response right. because it's done well. It's not the mm -hmm. lyric, it's actually. And I think and that's the mistake I think most churches make is they miss the value of instrumentation. Yeah. But when you go hear an orchestra play, you never hear a vocal. And it, and can, it can move you. you, can move yeah. you, you know what I mean? And, and I think there's, for so many, especially smaller churches in America, they're just trying to replicate what a Chris Tomlin or mm -hmm. a David Crowder does. They're doing nothing authentic. And again, right. I don't mean that disrespectfully. I'm just, as a songwriter, I'm the guy that probably missed out on so much opportunity because I hate playing covers because I can write music. I just, <laughs> I find no, like, I'm not a jam band. I'm not a go to a jam session and play covers guy all night. I'm going to go yeah. to... I'm gonna go to the Bluebird in Nashville, Tennessee, and let's talk original music. That's, but that's my DNA. And so when you're in an atmosphere like church, and there's nothing authentic and nothing original, and like your friend said, no creative illustration or output, mm -hmm. what good is it doing for that person? Then it becomes well, toxic, actually. Well, and I think the part of it, and it's a bigger conversation. I, I, I have a guest coming on here in a few weeks. Uh, he's a conservative guy. I'm pretty liberal. Uh, he's a, a very devout Christian. I'm an atheist, but we we met in uh, like Nashville or something. And we just started talking for like an hour and a half and had this amazing conversation. And we talked about the beauty of nuance in conversation because that's what we, we could see the nuances in our positions where I was like, oh, you think this and is that correct? And he's like, yeah, it's like, oh, I want the same thing, but this is how I think we should get there. And it was a beautiful conversation. So I'm excited to have him on there. But I think when it comes to music and art, uh, whether it be in the church or even like pop music, sometimes people hate pop music. I love pop music in a lot of ways, but there's there's some songs you just listen to. There's no nuance. There's no right. the, that extra little thing. And I think, you know, Paige and listen to you and being part of the church as well uh, in the past that there there wasn't a lot of nuance. There was only room for the big emotions and not the complicated emotions and and I right. think that that's where powerful conversations happen. I think that's where understanding and unity can happen. But if it just is just this pure, oh, how great is our God? I mean, that doesn't, if I have a conversation like that with a friend of mine who's a believer, we, we didn't have a conversation. I was like, that's cool that you think that. And I, you know, <laughs> but instead having these nuanced conversations about, you know, like the whole cup, if you will, like if, if you're seeing this one part of the cup, let's talk about all around what's actually happening but yeah. that doesn't sell as well that's where i come back where i think sometimes capitalism and art which i i like capitalism in a lot of ways so i'm not shitting on it necessarily but i think i think uh using it as a tool as opposed to the goal and sometimes it just becomes the goal of art as opposed to the tool that allows you to leverage it and continue to grow it if that makes sense well it, capitalism should never come before people Right. People, right. people should always come first. And and I think what's happened in the modern church, I love that word nuance, because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm the guy that has been uh, when I was getting paid to do things like preach or lead worship. I'm the guy that people would go to leadership and complain about because a song went <laughs> too long. Or I remember when I was a teenager, I've always kind of I've always just kind of enjoyed um, to be to be totally honest. I remember when I was oh, gosh, I had to have been like 13 or 14 years old. I don't remember. So my dad used to be the director of a children's home and he would have to travel quite a bit and do fundraising. 
So during the summers, I would go with them, which was really cool because we got to travel all over the country. Well, we're in right. we're in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, uh, one summer, and we go to this inner city church. Uh, my brother, as a white dude from the country, <laughs> at 13 years old, going to this inner city church, I'm what like, world for you? What is going on? Second of all, how come everything <laughs> isn't this way? Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> You're like so much more fun, Dad. Yeah, exactly. I would totally go to church if that's what it was, right? <laughs> but, but it was it was so tangible. This the spirit of it and the integration of the emotions. That's mm -hmm. that's what caught my attention at 13. I didn't understand hmm. it at the time, but it was just that real. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a in a denomination that didn't use instruments. It was all acapella oh, music. Church of Christ. So, yes. Yep. Exactly. And so everyone knew. You how to all sing. can harmonize like nobody that's, in business. Yep, like it doesn't that. matter if doesn't you're like matter. over twelve and you were in that church. Those yep. schools can harmonize. That's the crazy. accountant working at your business is probably the best alto you've ever heard in your life because she goes <laughs> to the Church of Christ, right? Like. Every, but, but I went, we went to that inner city church and like the song leaders, what we call them, that dude was adding lines everywhere. It was almost mm -hmm. like, I mean, it was incredible to me. And so I, I, I just, as a kid, I was like, and it was more than just being amused by their ability. It was like, mm -hmm. whoa, I can feel this. Like I can feel this. And so then as someone that was starting to do music, I was like, okay, I, between that and Garth Brooks, as who was like my performance idol, I'm like, okay, I want people to feel those things when they come and hear me play. I love right? that merging. Yeah, exactly. I'm kind of like a gospel Garth Brooks, you know. Yes. By the way, I feel Do like some Garth Kurt Franklin roundhouses and yeah. stuff, and it'll be awesome. Yes. I feel like Garth Brooks would totally take that as a compliment if you ever heard that. Also, um, everything I've read of him, I imagine. I imagine. Yeah. And so what was crazy is at 13, I'm like, well, what do you do with that? You do something, right? So right. I had started leading. I, I had been leading singing at church since I was seven. Um, so when I went back to my home church, which, by the way, was was the total opposite of the inner, the inner city church in, in Memphis. Like, right. like they would have thought they were, those people were going to hell because they were right. showing too much excitement. <laughs> so what did I do? Well, I did what any 13-year-old would do that learned something really cool. I went back and started doing it. Oh, <laughs> no, that didn't work. Oh, I love it. And so what my whole point of all of that is I, I, I had this shift, right? Because I had built my audience based on all of that. You know, I built my audience on being a pastor, on being a worship leader, on doing Christian music. And all of a sudden I'm like, this doesn't, this doesn't do anything for me. It just doesn't. And so I literally went from 20... Let's see, the Carry Me album came out uh, on a record label in 2015. Okay. 2017, um, I went with uh, an album called Diamonds and Whiskey. And a little bit of a shift. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> nah, I don't care. I'm like, go for it. And so <laughs> we, went, we went from playing churches to literally within a year and a half playing bars. Pretty, pretty, because that's, that's where you get an audience when you're trying to play music, right? And so. Right. What happens though is is when you're when you're a business person, that's almost the comparative of making um, water bottles 
and then all of a sudden making sex toys like 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 it's a vast it's such a major and, and in like, a strange way they might connect on some level they might yeah. actually kind of but but you know the mom that bought your water bottle for her kids is no longer going to shop with you it's, it's kind right. of kind of the point and that's what I, in fact i literally had people come up to me and go wait we thought you were a christian like that's how people would literally respond which kind of goes back to our whole church issue and we won't dig into that but yeah but it was a very um it was a very because i was still getting asked to do christian driven events and i was open yeah. with people i'm like look we still don't cuss that's just kind of not my style um now my bass player might in the middle of a show but i'll tell him to try, try not to <laughs> like hey can you um, turn it down yeah we'll, we'll mute part. him um but our music is still good it's fun people will dance to it it's a good time and so we still did some events that had been previously kind of booked um i had a couple mm-hmm. of summer shows that i had done a few summers in a row that were kind of big you know music events but but you you change audiences and flip that and basically what you're doing is starting from scratch i mean you're just right you're wiping out what you had and you're starting again. So that happened. But not only that, I'm also an author. And so I had this book that I started. Everything, again, was inspirational, spiritual. Mm-hmm. So I had a book in 2005 release. Um, and then I, I started another book, decided it wasn't what I wanted to do. I literally almost had it finished and threw it all away. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I was kind of starting <laughs> to go through that metamorphosis and that shift and that evolution so i'm like no not 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 me anymore so i threw it away right started another book in 2012 2011 2012 uh, probably 2012 is where my real kind of shift from those old belief systems i grew up with into new things started happening and it wasn't an overnight process it's right. been you know years but in 2012 i started that book and i actually finished the book in 2014 but i didn't agree with the book even after that so you're shifting even as you're writing and yes yes but it but i felt like it was a good book and i felt like it had a place in the world and so i'm like okay so i go back and i pull chapters out i keep chapters i reshape things i'm like okay i don't believe in god the way i used to um Mm -hmm. definitely definitely am atheist toward much of the characteristics of God that I was taught. Mm-hmm. I still believe in spirituality. I still believe in divine energy. I don't know how to package that. I don't like to call it God because then people assume you believe a certain way. And I don't There's believe so much that baggage way. when you say God yes. and it can be whatever they, they, their baggage they bring into it. You interpret but, it. How no, you I feel you. Yep. Yep. But I do believe there's connection. I believe that, you know, when, when you and I talk on the phone and I'm in New Mexico and you're in Kansas City and we have a connection, that's not just man-made. That love is present. Right. And love is a universal presence. And so, but I had this book and it was 250 pages long and I'd already thrown one book away. That's you know? a lot of work. And so <laughs> I'm like, a okay. a lot of work. So I backed up in 2014 and, and by 2017, so five years, I was able to work through this book and I released it in 2017. Um, I still don't necessarily, I'm, I'm away from about 40% of the things that are in that book, mm-hmm. but the, mo- the, the most valuable principle, it's called the gathering place. And the most mm-hmm. valuable principle of that book is being unified and walking together in this life. Mm-hmm. I will always believe in that. I don't care what banner you put it under. You yeah. can put it under any any banner you want. I believe in unity. Um, I believe in love. I believe in peace. I believe in compassion and acceptance. 
And I talk about those things in the book. Now, again, the, the same the same audience shift that I had in music, I'm now having in writing because yeah. I had I had conservative Christian friends come up to me and go, you wrote this whole book, like you that. never used the word God. Correct. And in the Bible, the book of Ruth does the same thing. And actually, none of the Bible uses the word God because it wasn't written in English. So what's your point? <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't work, really. Um, and so, and so <laughs> but, but that, you know, I had other friends that came up to me and knew my belief system that was shifting. And they actually went, one friend in particular, he called me to his house one night and he goes, dude, I don't know how you wrote that book, man. I, like, I couldn't have done it. Like, how did you do it? I'm like, because I honor my family, because I do believe in the in the core message of the book. I may write the book again one day with a different packaging because the core message is perfect. Mm -hmm. um, but again, an audience shift. I'm losing people. I lost book sales. I lost all of this because of the audience shift. Right. And but gaining, I imagine, a, a whole new demographic in a way. Yeah, but it was, a little, it was a little weird because a lot of the demographic, like, so let's go back to my LinkedIn, you know, okay. um, business, business growth specialist, coach, consultant. I'm going to need a little whiteboard behind yeah, me and we exactly. can just make little dots. And and make dots. <laughs> I love it though. Keep going. Keep going. So um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, so I've spent, I got on LinkedIn earlier this year and I've spent the last six months really trying to build it. Mm -hmm. I've met a, some amazing people all over the world on LinkedIn. By that, by the way, I never met on Facebook or Instagram. You're like one of the five awesome people I've met and, and connected Insta. with. Uh, yeah. And so See, LinkedIn, I'm the opposite with LinkedIn where I'm just kind of fresh to it. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm new. I don't know how this is working. Anyway. From a from a business professional side, you'll notice a massive difference. Yeah. It's just a different world there. People go to LinkedIn knowing I'm here to build professional relationships. I'm here to mm -hmm. give something. I'm here to take something. And so I've met some really incredible people, um, but it's but it's it's kind of the same examples on LinkedIn. Those people don't know me as a musician. Those yeah. people don't know me as as a, a poet or a songwriter or an entertainer. They know me for my podcast, um, which my podcast, by the way, because of LinkedIn, has grown incredibly the last six months. That's awesome. They they know me for the book that's coming out, how to hire and keep great people. So again, I went from inspir <laughs> inspirational, <laughs> spiritual. To business, but but the reason that shift happened is not only because I lost the music in my life, um, but because I've always had a pastor's heart. That's all I ever wanted to be. I still have it. It's just when you and I remember you and I had this conversation a couple of years ago, actually, and, and I remember that conversation because you said some things that encouraged me. Um, but it's like when you when you have a dream as a kid. The only way you know how to interpret that dream is relative to what your knowledge is at the time. Hmm. And so, so as a kid, you fall in love with music and your dad plays blues music. Well, all you know to do is play blues music. Right. But then you get to be 17, 18, 19 years old and you're like, ah, but I really like country music. And so then you have to learn how to manifest that dream, not in blues, but in country or you, you grew up with an engineer designer mind, but your dad is a math teacher. Well, the only way you know how to interpret it is to be a teacher. And, and that exact principle and universal law, I, I like to call it the, 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 it's kind of the interpretation of the relative, right? You can only interpret life based on what you know. That's why so many people, up to 72% of kids go to college and guess what they do? They either change their, their major 
or they graduate with a bachelor's degree and don't go into that field of work because they get in it and they realize, I don't like this. I went into it because I thought it was my passion. It's still my passion. But, but I, I saw more like of the world. Management. Yeah. Where am I going to put it? What am I going to do with it? And, and that's what I mean by the interpretation of the relative. All you can I do like is that. you can siphon it through the knowledge you currently have. So for me, mm. at 10 years old, I, I still believe to this day that the voice of the divine told me you're on earth to inspire people. You're on earth to encourage people. You're here because you're going to be a positive force for people that need it. And that's always been my passion. My mom tells a story when I was a kid, probably three or four years old, that I would try and share something with a friend. And if they didn't take it, I would cry. <laughs> so you had that heart. Yes, from a little child. And, and I believe that those things are in your DNA. Now, some people will argue with me and be like, well, you know, but you really don't. I, I read a statement the other day. You don't have to be passionate about what you're doing. Just put passion into what you're doing. And, mm -hmm. and in a way, I kind of get it. Like, in other words, we're going to work hard no matter what we're doing. But it yeah. sucks doing something that you don't enjoy. Yeah, I just came out of a season like that where I, I was going to shift gears and leave the music world. And because it's just been a crazy, intense, you know, mm -hmm. long, hard journey. And I was like, I can I can apply all the things I've learned to this other business that has a great margin and I can eventually learn the industry and then and then have a great business that just gives me cash that I can go do. But it took about six to eight months of realizing I hated every minute of it and it yep. didn't matter how good the margins were going to be. I just literally hated all of it. And, and I had to step out of it and figure out how in the hell I'm going to get back to yep. doing these kinds of things. And what does that look like? Because yeah, I, I get it. I get the sentiment. If you're doing something, you just do it. There's some things in life you just got to do right. Uh, that none of us like, but at the end of the day, I think that passion is going to put you through all the bullshit basically that's what i was learning like every business has bullshit even the music yeah. business even all of this it's just i love the music and i love the people i interact with so much that i could go i can navigate those things where in this other field it was in the in the landscaping world i realized i didn't love it enough to even want to go in in the morning anymore let alone deal with the shit that inevitably would come my way and so i feel you well, think about it. The, the reason people stay at a job is because they feel appreci appreciated and fulfilled. People mm -hmm. don't stay at jobs because of money. People yeah. take jobs because of money, but people don't stay at jobs because of money. And it's, and so we forget that when it comes to ourselves, it's like yeah. the reason I don't enjoy doing this is because I don't feel appreciated and fulfilled. Like I just hate it. <laughs> so, and so you, like you said, you kind of have to have an end goal, you know, and it's, and so for me as a, as a 10 year old who believed um, that I was here to inspire people. The only way I knew how to interpret that was to be a preacher. My dad was a school teacher forever. I didn't want to be a school teacher. Mm -hmm. My dad was a farmer. I enjoyed farming. I still enjoy farming, but I don't want to do that full time. Like, like you talk about inconsistent. Like I just, I would love to have some land and like toy with, but I don't want to do it. Right. Full -time. <laughs> and so it was like, well, then all I knew to be was a preacher. And and I had an uncle that was actually a youth pastor for years. And he was kind of my inspiration because I, I saw what he got to do with people. I saw him get to counsel people. I saw him get to put on summer camps and inspire kids and mm -hmm. elicit emotion in teenagers. I, I saw that and I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. That was the relative point of view. I got into church work and realized I, I can't get through the BS of church work. Like I can't, I just, <laughs> and there's a lot, 
I can't, I can't, I can't, the biggest thing I couldn't handle is when people put in their money, they all of a sudden think you're their, they're your boss. Like they think they can dictate your life. I mean, I had people complain because our porch light was on and we were costing the church money. Wow. You yeah. Know, I, I definitely had the, I pay your salary. So remember, you're going to do what XYZ. I want to do. So yes. I, uh, and they caught me at the, the tail end of me leaving ministry. So that didn't go too well, <laughs> didn't go too well for that. I had about, I had about 10 years there in and out of church work. Um, and, and, but what, what, what got me into that, this is kind of where my life changed from a professional standpoint. Um, I, I actually went to seminary right out of high school and also worked in youth ministry at the same time. Um, after that, I was burned, man. And there's a whole long story about that situation, but I just, I was just burned. I'm like, look, I have a family. I have two kids. At the, I actually had one kid, another kid on the way. I'm 20 years old, 21. Um, I'm like, I, I just want to make money. I don't care. I'm tired of dealing with all of this politics and stuff. This isn't the 10 year old dream. I thought it was right. <laughs> and so, um, so I went to work. Um, I had done retail in high school. Uh, I, I was good at it just because I enjoy people. And so I went and filled out applications. I filled out um, at the Gap, at Old Navy, at the Buckle, you know, kind of clothing. So I've always enjoyed clothing and fashion. So I'm like, well, this wouldn't be too bad. If I got to sell something, I'd rather sell something I, you know, enjoy and believe in. And so actually I, I got offered a job at Gap and did the, uh, the, uh, the first day training deal. Well, then the next day I got a call from the Buckle. And the gap wasn't really my style. And I was like, <laughs> if the buckle's offering me a job, I'll, I'll take that one and I'll leave the gap. Right? <laughs> yeah. So six months later, I'm running a $1.6 million store. Nice. So yeah, I got right. in up really quickly and um, did a nice job. I love leading people. Well, I knew I enjoyed leading people. I had just never experienced it outside of sports and church. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I, when I felt the, kind of the cool connection you could have with employees when I felt the cool connection you could have with customers. I I still don't really care for sales so much. I'm not really a good salesman. I'm a good people person, so I can sell. Um, But I love training people. I love developing people. I love having those hard conversations of how can I help you be successful type of stuff. Yeah. And for five years, you know, I got to do that with the buckle. I got to run, you know, like I said, a multi-million dollar store, um, had some success. But this weird thing was happening. I always loved how I hear, I hear business leaders all the time say, we hate having employees. I love having employees, but I also think I view them the right way. You know, yeah. most a lot of business leaders, I won't say most, a lot of business leaders view employees as a nuisance because mm-hmm. they cost them money and they're hard to deal with. I view them as the best asset you can have outside of your customer. Right. You have to have a great team of people. And so I enjoyed having employees, but all through those years, I a, still had this longing to go back into ministry. But th- the other reason I kind of moved away from church is there's always this guilt-driven element, right? So mm-hmm. I would literally, I would still fill in and preach every once in a while. I would still, I was still doing youth retreats. And so for about five years in a row, I did multiple youth retreats during the fall and summer that people would invite me to come speak at. And I still loved that connection of things. Yeah, And I think people meant well, but really it did a lot of damage to my psyche. But they would say things like, why are you selling clothes when you're such a great speaker? Hmm. Like, aren't, don't you think you're wasting your talent? And so, again, I think they meant well. But when you speak that language into someone, what you're really telling them is what you're doing now doesn't matter. And you're not going to be good, good enough until you're doing what 
we think God wants you to do. Right. Man, I saw well, that so much in the church. It, it, yes. I would. I remember there's there's seasons where I was doing that to other people. It was like, unless you're using it for the kingdom is what the idea was. But then yeah. realizing there are so many people doing so many amazing things that had nothing to do with church. And, and it, well, did, it diminished what they were doing. It, it's emotional abuse. It, it's mm-hmm. literally clinical emotional abuse. Like that, that is one definition of emotional abuse. Right. And, and yeah, it weighs on you, but especially when that's your dream, then it feeds ego. Hmm. I see that's the other side of it that so many people forget is not only are you emotionally abusing someone through guilt and through insults, but you're also feeding ego, which is never a good thing. No, <laughs> ever a good thing. <laughs> so I saw so over time, I just, I, I, I wanted to go back into ministry and through all those voices and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I left. Um, I had a, 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 an, a, an opportunity arise um, to go pastor a church. And so I left and did. Um, that was probably my favorite job I've ever had because I did get to fulfill a dream. At the same time, I do always regret leaving that company <laughs> because I just, <laughs> I, and bless their hearts for two years after I left, they called me, Mitch, wow. come, come back, come back. So and you so, left an impression. Yes, that meant a lot to me. Um, I still have relationships with people. Um, with people in that company. If you're out there looking for a retail job, go work at the buckle. I, I, I will lay my life on the line that it's one of the best companies culturally that you can go work for. So that's just that's a awesome. shout out to the buckle that I worked for 15, 18 years ago. <laughs> um, but what happened to me is after, after those three, three and a half years of that ministry job and, and that job did not end well at all. That was kind of, that was kind of, that job and me discovering Rob Bell at the same time. <laughs> when you talk, you actually remind me, not like in your approach, but like the thought processes of yeah. Rob Bell. So I, that's I funny to hear. Rob that's Bell where, a lot. I connect with him and I always have, but me discovering Rob Bell and his book, Velvet Elvis at the time, which questioned everything about Christianity as we know. I remember that book. Awesome. And then, and then the experience I had at that church that, that opened the passageway for me to go, okay, this isn't making sense. And again, it took a few years. That was in 2005. It still took another eight years or so for me to really kind of walk away from that belief system Mm -hmm. Um, because it was ingrained in me. It was my DNA, man. I mean, I'm at seven years old. I'm leading singing at church. That that's pretty, but there's also programmed in. It, there's some cultish, the there's some cultish personality there as well. So if there's cultish personality and programming going in, mm-hmm. there's going to be deprogramming going out, and that takes time. But yeah, what I'm still never, in that process, so it's all yes, good. <laughs> same, same. What never left was my heart for people. Um, what what never left was I, I want to leave every conversation, hopefully giving some hope to people. I want to feel good about the conversation. I definitely want the other person to feel good about the conversation. Um, but man, I loved business. Oh, I loved business, but I'm not really, I, I did learn I'm not really a day-to-day business guy. I'm not the guy that can come in every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always had an admiration for the, like the, the area manager that got to come in for a day and then go to another store the next day and another, fix this. Uh, I can get that job. Put out a fire here. Nothing. Yeah. Right. And so, so all of that led to, because I, you walk out of that situation going, okay, I have these talents and gifts and passions and desires. What, what do you do with those? Mm-hmm. Like, what does that look like now? And yeah. 
over the years, what it's become is what you see in my, in my LinkedIn profile. It becomes, um, there are so many workplaces that are terrible to work at. There are so many mm -hmm. business leaders that don't need to be business leaders or they need to learn how to lead people. And I'm not talking small business, just small business. I mean, this is in the corporate world as well. Yeah. So then about five or six years ago, I'm like, okay, let's back up a second. Um, I would love to make the world a better place for people to spend a third of their life at work. Um, part of the reason I left retail is because my kids were getting to school age. And so I would go, you know, I would normally work a schedule Monday, eight to six, Tuesday, 12 to 10, Wednesday, open to close. And so when my kids got to school age and they're going to bed at seven o'clock at night, guess who yeah. I didn't see for three or four or five days. Right. You know, during the holidays, I didn't see them at all because that's money time in retail. That's the time it's ramping up. Yes. And so that started getting to me. I'm like, okay, I, I, I just need to back up and see what, how, how can this look different? What can I offer the marketplace? So I started focusing on hiring. I had a really good percentage of hiring people. Um, I hated firing people. So I taught myself a system of how to fire people outside of legalities. Um, yeah. So if someone does something illegal, that's obvious, but outside of that- A little different. Yeah, a little different. I taught myself a system of firing people that's full of compassion um, and empathy. Um, basically, and that's, that's, go ahead. Well, it's, it's interesting to me because the people, I in my time doing leadership, the people who had a harder time with firing, if they were willing to walk that road of learning how to do it and learning why to do it, they ended up sometimes becoming the best people it was yes. like they, they could fire people and that person was then even inspired to go on to the next thing because they cared so much about it. Uh, where yep. there's, I, I know some people where it doesn't bother them at all to fire people, but at, at the end of the day, most people are like, oh, that guy's just an asshole and they didn't learn anything and moved on. So that's cool yes. that you, you're digging into that process because honestly, the people, I've, I've been fired from stuff. I have fired and hired people and most of the time, the firing process was really beneficial for the person themselves. It was beneficial for me. I learned something out of it, but I, I saw as they were released to go to the place they needed to be because it's clear that where they were was no longer the right fit. So that's, yeah, that's people cool. Aren't, people aren't stupid, you know, and, and that's what I learned is pe people usually, I would say, I would say upwards of 90% of the time, someone knows when the time is done. They, they know it. We all know it. We all know when a season is over. We can feel it. And so if you have a system of accountability and culture, then people should fire themselves. Yeah. If they have the permission to, and that's the difference. An asshole shouldn't have to walk up to him and go, you're fired. You shouldn't have to be, you know, I'm not even going to go. You shouldn't just have, you shouldn't have to be that person because if you have a system of culture and health and accountability and openness, you may have to have a hard conversation. So like the last guy I fired um, was actually, I guess about a year and a half, two years ago. And I was working with another company and I didn't hire the guy. They hired him before they, before I ever came on as, as an area manager actually. And from day one, I was like, why did you hire this guy? And they're like, well, we needed people. Okay. That should never be a reason that you have to hire people. Because you, like, if that's your reason for hiring people, we have a massive problem, which turns out we've had a lot of massive problems in that company. But I ended up having to fire that guy. And here's how that works. Look, man, I think you're a great guy. You tell me how you enjoying the job. I need you to be honest. You're not in trouble. Mitch, I hate it. I know you hate it, man. I can see it in your performance and the conversations we have. So what do you want to do? Like, tell me about your life. What do you want to do? This dude yeah. went on for 30 minutes about what he wants to do. 
That's 30 awesome. minutes. Excitement. He's like, oh, this feels so much better. I'm like, yeah, but we still have one more problem. You don't need to be working here, man. You just told me that story. Yeah. I'm going to help you find another job. It's going to be an easy job. You don't have to do what you're doing here, and you're going to enjoy it. Called a buddy of mine who is a general manager for another company. I said, I got a great kid here. You need to hire him. He's good. 30 minutes later, the dude had another job. That's Damn how it. I hire people. And that's the way to do it because at the yeah. end of the day, it's it's easy. And I've done it where they it becomes adversarial, where yes. like this person is literally trying to tear down my business. <laughs> this person is actively trying to fight against me. But in the end, like I'm sure there's times where there are people like that. Oh, but the majority of the time, there's not. And I think back to one of the last people I had to fire is one of the hardest ones. Is someone who's very close to me. Mm-hmm. And we had been going back and forth and I did not handle everything right by any means. But I remember the final conversation and sitting down. And when I said, we need to talk about your transition out. Yeah. And I watched because we were we were just going at it for a year, basically. And I watched his shoulders drop. Yes. And he relaxed. Yes. And I'm not saying I gave that to him in any way. It's just it was a thing where I, I saw relief in him. Right. And I realized because I wasn't doing what I needed to do as a leader, I wasn't seeing how how it didn't fit anymore. And I was right. trying to hold on, which caused all this tension where when I was finally like, hey, let's talk about you transitioning and let's talk about what that's going to look like. And I saw this relief there. And that that was one of the biggest lessons in firing I've, I've ever seen. Like, oh, man, they want relief, too. They're not trying yeah. to yeah. destroy me. They right. they're trying to figure out their lives their lives as well and what is how does it fit for them and their families and and their their hopes and their dreams yeah so let's tie this into creativity in a weird way right you ready for this because it does tie in so going back to the whiteboard all right creativity. Yeah, yeah. Go, okay. this whole thing is gonna make sense this is the <laughs> end, this next to the last chapter we're gonna tie it all in no, i love it that's why i love this kind of format um uh, I've, I've worked with some people in different interviews where they're media trained and you almost have to like like I've yes. worked with some people who are media trained and understand that this is the format and some people who just want to do the media thing. And it's just yep. little quips. And yep. I love these conversations because it's, it's not that. And I love getting down to this where, yeah. Anyways. So, so I believe that the foundation for creativity is no matter what, no matter how your creativity manifests, the foundation for creativity is learning to listen to the story. That could be the, the internal story. It could be the external story. So if, if creativity is simply a manifestation of a story taking place, whatever that is, mm-hmm. that's how it connects to human behavior, which is how it connects to firing someone. Because if you're a great leader, you're constantly listening to the story and you're mm-hmm. just simply holding yourself and others accountable to that story. Awesome. And so when you have someone that's, a, that's an employee who's always frustrated, who always has bad performance, who's always late to work, you're listening to that story and they're telling you that story. So then your only role as a leader at that point is to now hold them accountable to their own story. Mm. Miguel, you're always late. Your spells are down. I know you don't enjoy this. Help me out here. We need to talk about your transition because you're already telling me the story that you're halfway out the door. Right. Almost. I want to come from a place of care. Yes. I want to help you go down that story. And that's a hard discipline. I would say as a leader. 
by it cutting is, off. Sorry. But, it, but it's the most empathetic position. And that's the problem with leadership is, is a true leader, a leader of any quality at all, will be an empathetic leader. A person that is just in a leadership role because they're asked to be in a leadership role usually are the ones that are not empathetic. And, and I'm not even talking CEOs. Some of the most wealthy CEOs in the world are terrible leaders. They were just really good at making money. Those are two very different things. Some of the best leaders I know are janitors. It's in their DNA. It's who they are. And so that ties directly into creativity because really all we're doing is listening to the internal and external story and manifesting that in some form or fashion. Maybe it's through painting. Maybe it's through a song. Maybe it's through, um, you know, uh, whatever, origami. It could could be anything, whatever it is. I don't care. It's like, really what you're doing is you're, and and this kind of goes back to when I was talking about my my struggle with songwriting at this season in life. Mm -hmm. The reason I'm struggling with songwriting is not because I don't have anything to say. It's because I'm having to learn a new way of saying it. And that's a very different mindset. I have plenty to say. It's just that I'm learning a new way to say it. When I went from writing spiritual books to writing business books, I had to learn a whole new way of writing. And I hired a coach and he's like, Mitch, the inspirational stuff isn't going to work right now. People aren't going to read that. People want tweet sized chapters. That's the, what we live in. You're not writing for church people anymore. That was a totally different way of writing. Um, and, and, and it's, it's a new discipline. It's a new understanding. Again, we're going back to the interpretation of relevance. And if I'm going to shift my audience, I'm going to take on something new then I have to learn to reinterpret things in life in a different manner. And we all do it. We just don't ever focus on it. We all do it. Um, That kind of brings it back to where something I kept coming back to my own brain as you were talking about your progression uh, as a writer, as a musician, spiritually, um, is, is this idea that we want to continue to grow and we want to continue to expand our ideas and our understanding, expand our knowledge of other people. And, and it even comes down to nuance where people want you, you know, want this person to be the same person they were 10 years ago. Um, Mm. and like, Oh, you've changed. It's like, well, isn't that the goal? Shouldn't we all change? Should we all be expanding? You know? And, and you said this 10 years ago or five years ago or last year or last month, it's like, well, I was wrong or I learned I was wrong or I learned it in a new way now. And we were tweaking it and growing it. And to me, I think that's the most beneficial thing you can do. It's almost scary to me in a way, if you meet someone 30 years ago and you come back and they believe all the same things, it tells me that they probably haven't explored much. That's a nightmare, right? That's a nightmare. Yeah. And the reason the reason people get so pissed off when you change is because you're now reflecting a shadow on their own soul. Mm. You're all of a sudden inviting them into the conversation <laughs> and reconsidering everything they believe. Right. And that's scary. And you, and I, you, and you and I have been through Dude, you and I have been through it. We have been through right. it. It's hard and it is. It, it's scary when you sit there and go, for at least the last five generations, my family has been vital members of the Church of Christ in America. Right. And now I'm walking away from it. Like that mm-hmm. that's scary to sit and think about and go and, and then to go 15 years ago, I was getting paid full time to preach a certain message. And now I don't believe it. Yeah. Like it's even yes. scary when you look at it internally and kind of go, what the like, what is this? <laughs> like, but what what comforts you is the idea that you can go, OK, but. I am finding more peace. 
I am finding more unification with people that I thought were going to hell. <laughs> I I don't walk in I don't walk into restaurants anymore and carry the burden of I have to save everyone in here. Right. That was Which one of the most freeing things. Yeah. Even though it's a tangent, like even just being in an airplane and not feeling like I have to share the gospel to everybody and I can and not having what's the word that I kept coming back to is like an agenda. Yes. And I always hated carrying this agenda and and now just being able to be friends with people who think so differently than me or or exactly the same, whatever it is, it's like there's there's no agenda. And how can how can I care for this person? What can I learn? Is there anything that I can to give out? But I know that wasn't your full point, but that was something for me. No, but that is the point, about. right? That is the point. And 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 for me, what was worse than all of that was because I remember Oh gosh, that um, I, I just like start ticking when you start bringing up those because I'm like no, <laughs> but but what what what's even worse than that is the feeling of self defeat when you lay down every night and yeah. and you have to see I come from I came from a denomination that didn't believe once saved always saved for oh, okay. those that have no for those that have no idea about Christianity what that means is there's some belief systems that say once you're saved and you believe in Jesus you can't fall okay. away. Yeah. There's some denominations that believe that you can fall away. Well, I was the guy. The problem with that concept is the very things you just said, the agenda. Like if I get off this call and I don't convert you to Christ, I go to bed tonight feeling guilty and probably going to hell because I didn't convert Miguel to Christ. Well, how many people do you interact with every day? I mean, you're right. literally feeling that every single day. I will never forget. I will never forget the feeling. And it wasn't just me. It was other preacher friends, too. The feeling of preaching a 30, 45 minute sermon and no one responded to the message. And it was like the walk of shame. Yeah. After church to know no one responded. Well, let's just have some common sense for a minute. You're preaching to the same 250 people every single Sunday. No, people aren't. <laughs> well, let's just think about it. Like you're right, not we're in all the, the math teacher and people respond. Like it just doesn't work that way. That's not. <laughs> like that's I know not someone's backsliding. <laughs> yes, that's how backwards that school. So again, not to, it's just what that shows is the journey of growth. And what that actually shows is when someone encounters, when, when someone encounters another person who has moved on. So, so I have this a lot, a lot with friends in my life. The majority of the friends in my life are from that background. That's where I met them. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden they have a conversation with them about, no, I don't go to church anymore. No, I don't do this anymore. No, I don't do this anymore. They're like, what? They look at me like I'm an alien, you know, it's like, what, yeah. what? And honestly, out of a heart of compassion, there are some people that I don't even bring anything up because it would just totally confuse them to the point of madness. And so, <laughs> and so I just try and be compassionate. But what it's, what it's causing when you have those conversations is it's all of a sudden causing them to go, oh, well, wait a second. Mitch was my pastor. And I had this happen one time. A guy to, came to me and he goes, Hey, I've been looking at your posts on social media and you don't believe the stuff you taught me. Like I personally discipled this guy, baptized him, worked with him when he was in rehab. Like I, I worked with this guy for a long time and he's like, dude, I, I like built my whole life on the things you taught me. Hmm. And now you don't believe them. Yeah. I'm like, well, let's have a, if you're ready to have that conversation, let's have it. Don't confuse gift wrapping paper with the gift. Yeah. And so we had that conversation and fortunately, you know, we were able to come to an understanding, but there was a part of me that walked away from that conversation going, wow, 
okay, so the life we do live is really powerful. We are influencing people. Okay. Yeah, so in ways you don't know. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. so you better, you better make sure not that you don't want to be inauthentic or show your growth, but you want to do it in a way that is, again, I keep using this word, it's compassionate and empathetic. I'm not, I, I'm not going to go, even though I had bad experiences, I'm not going to call the people from my past bad people because they're not. Mm -hmm. They're just simply understanding life the way they know how to understand it. And guess what? That's a beautiful thing. As long as you're not causing other people harm. So if you're the people that are going to rallies and telling people that their lives don't matter, we have another issue. But if you're the person that's just walking justly and humbly and mercifully, live mm -hmm. under any banner you want to. Because you said something a while ago, when you're talking about kind of having those nuanced conversations, those are really just human conversations. And what's funny is Christianity claims to follow the person that claimed to be the most human of us all. Right. So then why do, why are we removing the humanity from the life that we're living? Like I've learned so much more about Jesus outside of Christianity <laughs> than I ever did inside of Christianity. Guess why? Because I don't have the agenda blinding me right. and, and well, whether, Oh, Whether right. Jesus actually lived and walked or whatever, I don't know, but that's not the point. The point isn't, was the story true? Mm -hmm. The point is, what can I learn from the story? Because then well, it becomes I, true. Yeah, and I think that's a piece of just continuing to grow that understanding. And I think if you get in any kind of dogma, politically, religiously, it begins to block you off and you want to begin to open up your mind. A lot of people would ask me and my wife when we left the church and when eventually I started telling them like, no, I've, I've discovered like my belief is actually lack of belief <laughs> as an atheist. Right. They're like, what the big number one thing was, well, what do you teach your kids? Like, how do you even teach your kids to be good people? You know, it, it's just, it was a paradigm. It was probably a paradigm five years ago, six years ago, I would have thought, yeah. but yeah. we keep coming back to this idea is like, how do we teach them to think for themselves? How do we teach them to question? Um, you know, even I was sharing a story with with my wife. We we had a, a fire pit one night, and the two younger boys are with me, and they're seven and eight, <laughs> and we're right. we're just sitting at a fire, and my eight year old begins to break down on his own, like he and mind you, two years ago he said, "Well, I still believe in God, so you guys can deal with it," or something like that to mm -hmm. us, and we're like, "Okay, like you just." keep asking questions and well he begins to break down why he doesn't believe in god and then my seven-year-old joins in and he's like he goes well i don't really believe in jesus but i do think there's a god like a seven-year-old and i'm like what in the world is happening but then even my my eight-year-old as we're walking inside we're having this long conversation about they're asking questions do you of me do you believe this do you believe that and a lot of times i say i believe this other people believe this there's other religions that believe that trying to present as many ideas as possibly can uh, for them to wrestle with and um we're we're going inside and my eight-year-old says you know the one thing i don't like is that there's not a heaven and i'm like mm -hmm. yeah buddy that that's a hard thing because he kept he had a lot of questions about heaven and basically all i can say is from what we can tell mm -hmm. like scientifically there's no way to really know and mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like there is from my perspective and he's like it makes me sad and i was like i was like yeah but we just need to make the most of what mm -hmm. we have together like to me that means our life matters even more now like what we do now and watching his little face he kind of like smiled but with like little sad eyes at the same time but to me it's 
that is the progression. And honestly, maybe one of the most valuable tools I think you could give any person, your kid, employees, uh, band members, you know, whoever it is of how do you ask questions and think for yourself and grow to where hopefully you can keep doing the next iteration, next iteration and ultimately help other people do the same, which sounds like you're doing a whole lot of that. Yeah. So, you know, especially when you're talking, talking religiously, it's like religion was really built from the motivation of describing the indescribable. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 when I was a teenager, we moved from Oklahoma to Gallup, New Mexico, which is in the middle of the, of the Navajo reservation. And I felt, I just, I've always had this affinity toward native indigenous people. I don't know why there's just a mystery there to me. Um, and, and so as a teenager, when we moved to, to the middle of the Navajo reservation, I fell in love with that culture even more in the, in the indigenous culture. And in a lot of Christianity, it's like, well, some of those people have multiple gods. And what I learned really quickly is they don't have multiple gods. They have multiple explanations for the story that's taking place. So Hmm. their ancestors went to war on this mountain and they won that war. Well, the God of war helped them win that war. During the famine, it rained a lot and this river was created. Well, the God of the river gave us water. So again, they're just going back to what they're seeing take place in life and responding to what they're seeing. And they know they didn't create all those things. Mm -hmm. So their, their own definition is, well, it's the God of the river, or it's the God of the mountain, or it's the God of war. And my whole point to that statement is, I think the mistake we make as humans is trying to describe the indescribable. Hmm. And then once I come up with the definition, I teach that definition as truth, but that's not the case. Like, it's, it may be for me, but it's not even going to be my truth in 10 years. My truth in 10 years is going to be different. And so I love that what you're doing with your kids. It's like, well, for me, this is where I am. And guess what, kids? In five years, I may be telling you something totally different <laughs> because I'm growing, right. I'm moving, and I'm having my being in life. And it's bloody and gory, and it's different, and it changes. And I don't want to be the same person tomorrow that I am today. And that's perfectly okay. And And I think, again, tying that in with creativity, I think as creators, that's actually a really valuable asset, the asset of growth and evolution, Mm -hmm. because I don't want my art to look the same now as it did 10 years ago. I I, I just, I told you about a book that took me five years to write and I changed it up four different times, you know, and then even now, (laughs) (laughs) but I I think that's, that was a really, that actually that process of a book should never take five years to write, but taking five years to write a book was actually a really engaging process for me because it caused me to do a lot of reflection. It caused me to do a lot of questioning of my own belief system, of my own creativity, and go, not only how can I shape a book that kind of expresses what I'm feeling, but is palatable to people that may believe differently. Um, and, and, And so I think as creators, that is such a huge asset is growth and evolution. Um, you know, that that's again going kind of back to where this conversation started. If you have a musician that's playing the same music they did 70 years ago, 60 years ago, 50 years ago, A, you're going to talk to a musician that's tired of playing the same music. But, <laughs> but B, I don't really relate to that artist because I want I want different, you know? I mean, yeah. you know, Willie Nelson has to be really tired of playing whatever that he's been playing for 60 years, you know? Right. You know, he has to, I mean, it's just, it actually one of his sons came out with an album not long ago and Willie Nelson wrote a few of the songs and it's totally different than anything he's, you know, I've ever heard him do. 
Mm. And so that does tell you he's growing and evolving at what, 78, 80 years old, whatever he is right. now. But it just, you know, the problem, the problem becomes, you said it, it's capitalism. The problem becomes there's an expectation from the marketplace for mm. a successful person to be successful again. And there's a formula. There's a reason that Chris Tomlin's newest song sounds just like How Great Is Our God, because it's so in albums. Like, yeah. they're not stupid. They're in business. <laughs> <laughs> they're not in here to inspire. Sorry, if there's anyone listening that needs the reality of this, they're not yeah. motivated by inspiring you as a listener. They're motivated by their paycheck. Right. And that's that's not a bad thing necessarily, but there's a reason that their stuff sounds the same. And as an artist, again, that probably hindered me from building, um, from really building a substantive music kind of career because mm-hmm. I didn't want to fit the formula. I knew what I had. I knew what I liked to do. And that's what I'm going to do. And I, I slept better at night being authentic than I did meeting what the marketplace commanded me to do. Now, right. I'm kind of like you. It means I didn't make any money is what it means. But at the same time, it also means that I'm, I'm very proud of what we've done, you know? And yeah. um, I can say that about my books. I can say that about my speaking. I can say that about my coaching. I, I try and be proud of what I've done. The only way I know to do that is to not do things that I don't enjoy. (laughs) And so um, passion piece. Yeah. That's, that's the big piece I think, because it gets you through the hard parts of entrepreneurship, which is just inevitable. I had a roofing company once and someone asked me what I was doing at that point. Cause I, I've had this weird relationship with music cause I'll go all in Mm -hmm. and then I burn out and then I hate music. And then I try something totally different. So I started a roofing company because that makes sense. And, and, but I, someone asked me, like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm making money. Leave me alone. And, uh, and then about like six months later, I was like, why the hell am I doing this? You know? <laughs> and, and I ended up leaving that as well. Um, but kind of land in the plane, this idea of live and create. And I love this conversation. And in some ways, you've probably hit upon these topics uh, throughout. But, for you, like if you had to condense it down, even if you had to put it maybe on a graphic and share it on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. to you, what does living a great life mean? Yeah, living a great life. I, I think it's going to bed at the end of the day knowing you did things that made you feel fulfilled. I, I think it's ending the day saying, yeah, that was a really good day, a really good day. That's yeah. awesome. And, and, and I think it's actually more difficult than, I think it's easier said than done sometimes. Well, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I feel you. Cause there's even things that I'm doing now where it's the things I want to do. Uh, but there's other parts, like even these podcasts, like I'm not a big fan of editing, uh, but I find myself like this whole week, I'm going to be editing a big backlog of podcasts, but I, I love the conversations and I love what I think it, it can become for other people. So that drives me through the fulfillment. And when you think about creating great things, if you had to distill it, um, yeah, what, what does creating great things mean to you? I think it's a manifestation of your story. I, I've kind of always viewed creativity as that way. Hmm. Whatever, whatever's happening internally or whatever you're noticing externally, the manifestation of that is creativity. I love it. That's awesome, yeah. man. Well, dude, great conversation. And uh, it it kind of stirred up a lot. There's some things I haven't even thought about in a long time, uh, just the, the pastoring and, and all that. Because there was a lot I loved of that, that life. Um, but 
like a buddy of mine is like, why don't you just go get a job at a church again? I was like, I think they, they'd frown upon an atheist worship leader. There might be some <laughs> super edgy church out there that would have it. And but yeah, I, you're really I, good. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, but nonetheless, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of good things and it. This conversation definitely inspires me to remember those certain things that maybe I think I turned off uh, mm-hmm. from just like, as you would call it gifts or, like abilities or talents, as I think of it, um, what does that look like? And I think it's a great encouragement, hopefully, to people listening. Like, if I come from one world and I've transitioned to a new world, whatever that looks like, how do I learn and grow and bring those, bring the great aspects to this new place? So that's awesome. Yeah. The, the last thing I would say on that, because I think it's important for someone that may be listening, is your, your DNA doesn't change. No, no matter where you find yourself in life, if you're transitioning, your DNA, listen to your DNA, listen to what you enjoy doing most. The manifestation and the interpretation of that may change, but your DNA doesn't change. And, and so I would just encourage people to listen to that and just learn a new way of applying that to wherever they find themselves. That's yeah. good, man. That's a good thing to end on. So yeah. awesome, man. Thanks for making the time. Thanks, brother. Thank you for listening to the Live and Create podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe and leave a comment or a review. The Live and Create podcast.